My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-73-CIMBC. Jim Kramer. The Bears. Yes, the Bears, they want to have their cheesecake and eat it, too. But the facts won't let them. I'm talking about how hedge funds and the pessimistic strategist buddies want things to go horribly. And until last Friday, man, they've been having their way for weeks. Now that the situation feels a little different. Dow gaining another 135 points today, S&P climbing 0.52%, Nasdaq jumping 0.58%, working off that oversold condition. At this point, it's hard to fathom how the bearish view actually can regain some credence because it's hard to take them seriously in this kind of tape. Today's typical. We know that there's been widespread concern that whole regimens of supplemental food for your body, Cheesecake Factory, will be crossed off the collective consciousness of the American public by the GLP-1 diabetes slash weight loss drugs. That's Ozempic and its obesity twin Wigovi from Novo Nordisk and Monjaro from Eli Lilly. We didn't really think there could be a big impact so soon. But then Wall Street, I'm sorry, Walmart sounded the alarm to Wall Street last week, saying that their volumes are soft, possibly and some of it could be drug-related. Eventually, there could be maybe, I don't know, 15 million people taking these weight loss drugs. People for whom junk food will then mean nothing because this medication eliminates craving. Nor does alcohol mean that much, though. You can still get a buzz, but only if you force it down your throat. The Walmart call scared the heck out of potential buyers of the food and beverage stocks last week, leading to an incredible collapse in a group that was once considered the ultimate safe haven in this stock market. Almost felt like the existential threat, which is not something that food companies have really ever had to deal with. Now, it might not have been so palpable if it weren't for the worst decline in bond prices in my lifetime in a short period of time. Interest rates shot up at a pace so fast, it was actually, your head was spinning so hard to fathom. When I was doing a signing for my wife's mezcal called Fosforo at a terrific shop right in Middletown, New Jersey, this Saturday, a club member said, Jim, you just don't talk enough about the bonds. So you know what? Let's go there. As long as interest rates are going higher, it is very difficult for the stock market to rally. Why? First, because every stock is going to be rated against what's known as the benchmark 10-year treasury. You want, don't want a stock with a 3% yield like so many of the food and beverage stocks if the 10 years give you a 4.65% with no risk as long as you hold it to maturity. There's no money back guarantee in a food stock. As bond yields go higher, they inherently become more attractive versus stocks. No, you won't make as much money in bonds if stocks go higher, which is why I like stocks. But that leads us to the second problem caused by rising interest rates. The odds start to favor the majority of stocks going lower. Sell, 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 sell. Because higher rates are a symptom of things going awry. Too much inflation, too much demand for money. Just too hot an economy. In an environment where the Fed wants to cool everything down to prevent inflation from spinning out of control. So bonds aren't just worthy opponents of stocks. Their movements tell us a great deal about the state of the economy itself. The bond market sometimes does get it wrong. It predicted a recession last year and said we got a boom. But it's still a very powerful indicator that almost everybody around here is certainly going to follow. Now let's consider a third element that matters. In this particular case, we had a breathtaking move where long-term bonds collapsed in price or yield. The velocity of this decline, that's what really took everybody by surprise. Bonds tend to move at a glacial pace, but this was an avalanche of selling. 
We don't want rapid moves in bonds. Too much money is lost that way, particularly by the banks. So let's put it all together. The interest rate, the direction, the speed of the rise in bond yields, the collapse in bond prices is what defined the end of September. But for the food and beverage companies, it was a one-two punch. The second being that Walmart inspired wave of fear coming from these new weight loss drugs. Today, today all reversed. First, we had Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic talking, that, uh, saying that the current policy uh, or interest rate is enough to get inflation down to 2% and higher rates aren't necessary, 2% being the target rate. That comes on the heels of yesterday's dovish comments by Philip Jefferson, the vice chair of the Fed's Board of Governors, who suggested a pause in rate hikes. Yesterday, the bond market was closed, Columbus, Columbus Day, so it didn't have the ability to digest Jefferson's comments. Today, though, bond traders had to factor in comments by both Fed officials, and they sent bond prices screaming higher, to the point where some were starting to wonder if they missed out on a peak in Treasury yields, at least for the tenure. Bond buyers swarmed in and were able to imagine a world where interest rates actually can go lower for the first time in a long time. Some even whispered about a peak in rates. Meanwhile, PepsiCo, one of the worst hit packaged food companies, saw its stock fly up after the company reported a good quarter that threw water on the weight loss drug thesis. There hasn't been any downtick in demand for soda or for Frito-Lay chips. If anything, there's been an acceleration in purchasing to the point where PepsiCo felt comfortable to raise its forecast for next year, something this company almost never does. They don't forecast for next year out. You know what? I think that was a sign, a palpable sign, that Pepsi had had enough of the bogus, bearish narrative and wanted to take control of its own destiny. So you had rates go down. You had some concrete evidence that PepsiCo has little reason to fear the weight loss drugs. CFO Hugh Johnson made it clear that he's been Pepsi through 55 quarters of forecasting and has never missed. That's the kind of track record that makes the short sellers think twice before pressing the bets on Wagovi. Now, what's the truth? Frankly, I think it's just way too early to assess the impact of Wagovi or Manjaro on pretty much anything. Manjaro hasn't been approved for weight loss yet. Uh, and, and that includes whether it's really going to hurt Dexcom for glucose monitoring systems down 25% or Conagra down almost 29%, Coca-Cola down 15%. That said, I don't really care for those stocks because with the exception of Conagra, they're too expensive. And I see a lot of tech stocks I really like more. Jeff Marks and I, in preparation for our, invet- our monthly investing club call at noon tomorrow, will you please join the club? It's going to be great. Kicked around the idea of buying back some of the Procter & Gamble stock we sold much higher for the Chapel Trust. That stock's not down as much as the food and beverage place, but it's still off more than 4% for the year with a 2.6% yield. And they raise the dividend every year, or they try to. They have. But what we think, it's, it's been tarred by the same broad brush as the food and drug business, even though, well, you know, I, I, I like the taste of toothpaste, but I'm not eating it. Um, this is a rich stock, too, but I think it's the right thing to buy. Now, I saw a survey today which showed that many companies might offer health insurance that covers these $1,000 a week weight loss diabetes drugs because they lower the number of people at risk of heart attacks and a host of other diseases. If it turns out that there's broad acceptance of these drugs in a short period of time that no one's expecting, I do think the earnings estimates have to come down for the food and beverage stocks because people will eat and drink less. It's a volume issue, okay, because they won't crave and they're a lot less hungry. Always think volumes go down. Remember, it's one thing for interest rates to go higher and quash these stocks along with so many others. It's another thing to put your stock portfolio at risk of an earnings miss, especially when the stock's more expensive than the rest of the market. So, yes, I take it gospel that Walmart's seeing a slight slowdown. No reason to doubt them. But I also take it gospel that PepsiCo's doing fine, at least so far. Bottom line, I don't know how the weight loss drug situation will play out. 
But I do know bonds are making a stand, which is a good reason to lock in both the tenure and maybe even grab some shares of PepsiCo, at least these levels, before they both move too high to be worth grabbing. We're taking calls. We're going to Hunter in South Carolina. Hunter. Hey, Jim. Uh, uh, First off, I want to thank you for having me on the show. Sure, Hunter. Um, Thank you. I, I wanted to see what you thought about AMC. I uh, I bought in at AMC right around eight dollars, and uh, I got to be honest with you, Jim. I like the stock, and I wanted to know if uh, you well, thought this kitty was going to keep roaring through the okay. week. Okay, I mean AMC is a controversial stock. It's been a real loser. Um, I'm looking at the chart. That's not like a. I'm looking at the chart. It's like you know, hey, listen, it's uh, it's no Mona Lisa. Uh, but I will say this, the uh, CEO is an imaginative guy. Maybe they get a couple of good movies going, but I'm a, when it comes to any move up, sell, 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 sell. What can I say? How about we go to Rick in Virginia? Rick. Hey, Jim. Thanks for everything you do for us. Thank you for being on the show, Rick. What's going on? Got a question on AMD. Buy, sell, sure. or hold. AMD's a buy. It's in our bullpen for uh, the Chapel Trust. Uh, I was hoping that we would add some in time. For our big meeting tomorrow at noon, we did not get the stock in. It's now going up seven points. I'm starting to feel that maybe we missed our real good window there, but I like AMD. All right, I think there's a good reason to lock in both the tenure and some shares of PepsiCo at, the, at these levels. I actually like PepsiCo more than the tenure before they move too high to be worth grabbing. On Mad Money tonight, the used car cohort was one of the hottest in the midst of the COVID pandemic, but with demand seemingly cooling, where does a company like CarMax fit in? I'm getting the latest from the CEO in a rare interview. Then yesterday, we covered stocks that had strong financial positions that could handle this interest environment. Hey, how about today when we pick a couple of losers and tell you how dangerous they could be? I'll reveal it. And a shark is swimming in the New York Stock Exchange. Don't miss my excuse with the one and only Damon John. Hear more about the important work being done for a, co- a cause that I celebrate called Black Entrepreneurs Day. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. All right, we've got a treat for you tonight. What do you make of the used car market now that interest rates have soared over the past couple of months? And we got that UAW strike. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we got results from CarMax, the big chain of used car dealerships. Both total revenue and same-store sales came in weaker than expected, although the earnings were basically in line thanks to improved expense management, plus the cadence of the quarter was not bad. In response, though, the stock still got pulverized, down more than 13%, largely because management said customers are unwilling to, quote, click buy when they see their calculated monthly payment. We've got to go into that, too. So can they triumph over what increasingly feels like a tough environment? Let's go straight to the source with Bill Nash, the president and CEO of CarMax, who is here in New York Stock Exchange. They're celebrating the 30th anniversary. I remember when they rang the bell to, to startle this. They rang the closing bell tonight. Welcome to Man Money. Oh, well, thank you for having us. And it's certainly a, a day of celebration for us. Oh, as you said, yes. Years ago. Congratulations. Well, thank to you. you. A lot really has changed. Terrific. A lot has changed in but the last you know, 30 years. I remember when you first started, people said maybe they don't make it. Well, here oh, we yeah. are. 
You oh, more than make it. I have a, a framed article in my office that says car crash. From the oh, well, that's days. Per, and tell people how many billions of dollars a quarter you do. Yeah, we, we, we're up there now. We're up uh, multiple billions of dollars. Yeah, you're not point. going anywhere other than yeah. I think that, that let's just cover that last quarter. I thought the decline was, you can correct me, given the fact that the cadence was better and June and July were the worst and August started to get better. I thought the decline was severe. I'm a stock guy. You're a car guy. Yeah. But that did seem to be wrong to me. Yeah, no, I think, look, there's a lot of macro factors playing right. here. And the first, first and foremost is the affordability issue. Right. Used car prices are still elevated from, from the times post-COVID, you know, when there was a shortage right. of new cars. Right. Compound on top of that, higher interest rates that have been going up, plus just the inflationary pressures that consumers are facing on other things that they buy every day. So there's no doubt there's a, an affordability issue. Right. That being said, to your point, we feel really good about the sequential progress that we're making. Um, we feel great about the cost control that we've been going after as well. And our big task is just making sure that we have plenty of inventory that consumers want that's at an affordable price while also making sure that we get them connected with the right lender to give them the best payment. Right. Now, uh, that's something that's important because the rates for that for car loans, we've seen them go up oh, yeah. substantially. Absolutely. So that has to hurt people who are buying it. Uh, a recent model, uh, model as opposed to, say, six, seven, eight years, which might help them. Well, you know, whether you're buying a newer model or an older model, interest rates are up. Interest rates are up. Absolutely up. And it's, so it's impacting top credit customers, but it's also really impacting, you know, lower credit customers. Even though the cars sure. are much less in price here because but it's even, a monthly payment. They're still, the, the, even, the, even the older cars still cost more than they did. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't know uh, the number of variables you have. You know, now we have electric, okay? Yeah. We have uh, a Fed that is just bent on taking, we'd say, longer, higher. Um, but you also have a UAW strike. Yes. How do you manage your inventory? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. I think as far as the UAW strike, it's a little early to tell the impact it's going to have on the business. You know, it really depends on how long it goes uh, and if there's going to be an expansion. We certainly are monitoring the impacts, not only on inventory, but also on parts, because of, obviously we have to build cars to bring them up to the, to the, the CarMax standard. So that's absolutely something we're going to be continuing to, uh, to monitor. But at this point, it hasn't really played into the overall industry. Now, you did see some better numbers at the end of the quarter. So what happened in June and July that was so horrible versus August? Well, I think what you saw, uh, June and July, you actually saw some depreciation happen. That's what it was. And it was, and it was, it was I would call it more robust depreciation. It's not your yeah. normal seasonal you depreciation. absolutely steep on the call. Yeah, so if I looked at May, June, and July, it was, let's say, $3,000. You just don't see that amount of depreciation in such a short period. Right. And that, that has a lot of pressure. Pressure's wholesale values. The good thing is when you see depreciation like that, it, it starts to bring the cost of cars down. So while it's tough in the short term for the industry, it's good, I think, overall, because, again, you want the prices to continue to come uh, down. What kind of digitization do you have that you can factor in, say, Mannheim has this index? And you have plus one in September after being down a couple of months before. I mean, it's every day the yeah. value of your lot changes. Yes. You have to be nimble. You have to be nimble. And, you know, I, I go back, you know, 30 years ago, we were leveraging technology back 30 years right. ago. Fast forward today. Your data, your technology, AI, machine learning, deep machine learning, it all plays a critical role in improving not only our associates' experience, but the customer's experience. And that's how we stay on top of what is this car worth? Well, we're, we're right here able to answer questions. A lot of people feel that this kind of technology is going to wipe out jobs. When I listen to you, I think it calls no. progress and makes more jobs. Yeah, no, I, I, I view it a little differently. And, and uh, 
you know, we've been leveraging even generative AI more recently. Right. And the way I see it is it's really, it can be an associate engagement tool because generative AI at this point, what it really can do is it can take away some of the mundane tasks that our associates have to right. do and let them right. really do the value add. Now, will, will AI help you not maybe have to increase your staffing over time as business grows? Possibly, right. but I don't see it, at least not at CarMax, I don't see it as a job removal. Okay, so explain the interaction between online sales and AI. So, well, anything online. So whether, I mean, 10 out of 10 of our customers, they start at CarMax.com. Right, right. And so AI plays a critical role, but it's not just the AI. You've got to have great data for the AI to work. And so AI can customize every push of a button that a consumer does online we can tailor the response back. We can say, okay, this customer has done steps one, two, and three. You know what, they may not know it, but they really need to see four, so let's go ahead and serve them four. So the way I think about the AI, it really personalizes the experience for the consumer. Okay, speaking of personalization, you obviously yourself know this stuff. I meet CEOs, they've got someone in their organization that does it for them. It sounds like you're, you're hands-on when it comes to generative. Yeah, well, it's important. It's important to our organization. Like I said, back in 1993, and, and this might sound a little silly now, but back in 1993, you'd walk into a CarMax store and you would see touch screens and you could print out a, a location of your vehicle with a vehicle, de a vehicle detail page. You didn't see that back in 1993, right. right? Fast forward to today, we've just continued that technology push. And, and again, I think it's such a, uh, an enabler, not only for our associates, but for the customer experience. And it's gonna differentiate the winner at the end of the day. Okay, so uh, you also talked about a buyback in which I thought gave confidence, but I wasn't sure how much you're, uh, kind of loading in here because it seems like to me that your stock should be bought. Yeah, well, we absolutely, you know, we paused the, the buyback yeah. about a year ago uh, and we just felt like, and what we've been telling folks is, look, we want to see some some sustainable improvement. And we've seen some su sustainable improvement, as I talked about. You know, we've seen some consecutive growth across a lot of metrics. But we also wanted to, to say, look, we're not going to go back in right away to what we were before because of all the macro factors. I mean, you right. pointed out a couple of them oh, earlier. No. You want to make sure you understand that before you just go all back in. But we'll start it initially at a, at a, at a lower amount, um, and then we'll, we'll see how it goes. How can you tell where, how much inventory is really out there right now? Uh, Ford, I mean, when I speak to Jim Farley, it's not clear how many Broncos are out there. I mean, how do you have intel on what's, what's out there? Yeah, well, we have professional buyers that I would say are the best trained and buyers out there. And tell people where, you, where those buyers get their cars. Go, they so, go. Yep, so, so we have, a, a group of great individuals that work for us, professional buyers, best in the industry, they're on the ground. They're, they're talking to other dealers, they're at the auctions. Um, and then in addition to that, we also buy the majority of the cars that we sell directly from consumers. Right. And I think the key point there is when we buy a car from a consumer that doesn't fit our retail parameters, we immediately wholesale it on our own auction. So we have real-time data every single, really three days out of the five days a week, we're getting new data as it relates to the cars that we're buying and then reselling to other dealers. Well, you have an incredibly impressive company that you knew to digitize even when you started was good, but what you've got, got now, I don't think people realize that how close you are to the actual situation. You're not gonna end up with 100,000 more cars than you need. No, That's no. never gonna happen. And you definitely don't wanna end up with 100,000 cars, especially more than you need, especially during a highly depreciating time. Excellent, okay, that's Bill Nash, President and CEO of CarMax. Rent the closing bell 30 years, and many people doubted this company from the day it was started. That was a big mistake. Bad Money's back after the break. Coming up, what stocks have the greenbacks to thrive in a high-rate world? Kramer's Focus on Cash continues next.
last night, the rapid rise in interest rates has changed the calculus of this market. It's no longer safe to own the stocks of companies that rely on financing because borrowing money has gotten a lot more expensive. In this environment where the Fed intends to leave short rates higher for longer, I know you've heard that phrase, you want companies that have loads of cash and don't need to raise money, which is what we focused on yesterday. Tonight, though, a little darker. We want to talk about the, the higher for longer losers, and there are a lot of them. And we're talking entire sectors. For starters, the utilities need to borrow constantly just to keep their existing machinery running, let alone build anything new. That's why these stocks have been hammered over the past few months. The utilities collapsed after the September 20th Fed meeting, where Wall Street realized that higher for longer was the new normal. The Utes are now the worst performing sector in the S&P for 2023, with the best proxy for the group, the Utility Selects Sector Spider ETF, a mouthful, down nearly 17% year-to-date. Doesn't help that most of these are dividend stocks and their yields are a lot less attractive in a world where you can get almost 5% from two-year treasuries, as I said at the top of the show. Now, that said, my gut instinct is that it might be too late to sell the utilities now. Higher rates for longer will definitely hurt their earnings. But I've got to wonder if that's already baked into these stock prices down here. Of course, I can't get bullish on the utilities until interest rates peak. But for now, let's stay on the sidelines. Who else loses in this environment? Any industry with high capital spending commitments that need regular financing. Who comes to mind? How about the wireless carriers, especially ATT and Verizon, now both down 19% for the year. They're supposed to be safe. Even before interest rates spiked, it became clear that these guys had a truly bad business. They needed to spend fortunes to build out their networks, but the competition is so cutthroat that they have very little pricing power. Between T-Mobile and the cable companies that have got into wireless and the budget phone carriers, well, they're being eaten alive. They're basically giving away the iPhones to win new customers. Not a great business model. Hey, by the way, only winner is Apple. And higher rates make everything worse for them. ATT is currently guiding for 19.42 billion dollars in capital expenditures this year alone. Verizon is uh, projected roughly to 14 to 15 billion. That's more than half their cash flows from operation. That's too much. Throwing the billions they need to spend on the dividends, and there's not much left for anything else uh, like buybacks, uh, M&A. That's why I think that there's a high chance that ATT and Verizon may, and I don't think they're going to agree with me, have to cut their payouts. I'm just looking at the numbers. Whenever you see a stock with a 7.4% or 8.4% yield, that is a gigantic red flag. It means money managers simply don't believe in the dividend. These two are bad and probably getting worse. Let's, let's talk about a company called Rivian Automotive, the electric vehicle maker that had a wild first week of October. Things started off fairly positive with Rivian reporting better than expected production delivery results. But then last Thursday, the stock had its worst single day decline since coming public nearly two years ago, falling nearly 23% of single session. Why? Because on Wednesday night, Rivian announced that it's going to offer $1.5 billion worth of green convertible notes due seven years from now because they need to raise money to build more factories now. That hit itself might seem extreme, especially because Rivian ended up getting a pretty good interest rate, 3.65%. So what gives? Well, the interest rate's low because this is a convertible bond. We have to spend some more time talking about converts, meaning that under certain circumstances, the bondholders can turn them into stock including all the other shareholders in the process. Shareholders just hate being diluted. So a lot of them sold. Rivian shows us that even creative financing solutions can be poorly received. So in this market, you're taking your life in your hands if you invest in a company that can't fund its own spending in 
internally, which is why I always talk to you about how I don't want to recommend stocks of companies that are losing a lot of money. Now, the broader lesson from the Rivian meltdown, any newer company that's cash flow negative could be in real trouble here. Ever since the Nasdaq peaked nearly two years ago, I've said over and over again that money managers no longer care so much about pure revenue growth. Instead, they want to see profitable growth and cash flows. Now, we're seeing yet another reason why the pivot to profitability matters. Because in a high interest rate environment, the companies that don't need cash, uh, the companies that need cash to get blood dried by the creditors, the companies that don't need cash are terrific. That was yesterday's group, okay? Look at this. Up, up, and then boom. I wouldn't own this. I just wouldn't own it. The easy money from venture capitalists dried up long ago. If a company has negative cash flow and they're going to have to plug the hole somehow, where do they get the money? Either they can borrow and pay a higher interest rate that'll eat away at their future profits, Rivian, or they can sell additional stock, making the existing shares less valuable. Dilution. Finally, there's one more group of big losers from rates staying higher for longer. That's companies where external funding mechanisms are, are part of their business model. You see this in many of the financial technology companies. Affirm for buy now, pay later. Upstart, which is an online lending marketplace. Both these companies offer credit in one form or another, but rather than holding these loans on their balance sheet, they prefer to bundle them up, sell them to institutional investors in the form of asset-backed securities. That's called ABS. The process worked great until the Fed started tightening last year and the institutional buyers started uh, to be more hesitant about touching this piece of paper. Even if they continue buying these asset-backed securities, they want to be compensated with higher yields. Firms and upstarts of the world need to start charging their customers higher rates, which makes their service less attractive. So these aren't companies that are borrowing themselves, but they still depend, they're still dependent on financing markets and hurt by a higher for longer interest rate environment. Hey, by the way, I don't want to lump this one in. If you look at SoFi Technologies, one of the rare fintech plays that's held up relatively well, it's because SoFi takes deposits just like an actual bank. In fact, their deposit base grew by a staggering 73% in the first half of the year. And like any other bank, they use those deposits to lend money to other people. And they do it at a lower interest rate than companies that rely on the asset-backed securities market to raise capital. When the asset-backed market dried up for the other nouveau lenders, SoFi basically said, fine, we'll just find our loans without deposits for the time being. If the asset-backed market gets better and we get a good price for the sale of our loans, we'll do it. If it doesn't, well, we'll just hold our loans to maturity. And that's why SoFi is doing so much better than the other fintechs, and it's why I've continued to like it and recommend it to you. But the bottom line, when you think about what's worth owning here, you need to factor in the fact that we're in a higher for longer interest rate environment. And in this world, the stocks of companies that need to borrow money become a heck of a lot more risky, something you need to keep in mind until the Fed relents, which could potentially take higher for longer years. Greg in Tennessee. Greg. Good day, Mr. Kramer. Hey, Greg. How are you? Um, if I was any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> I like that. I like that. It's pretty good. Digital twins. What's up? Uh, well, I tell you, um, utilities have taken a beating here lately, and I'm thinking oh. it might be a buying opportunity. What Do you think this is a good time to add to my uh, southern company? Okay, I, I would tell you that while I like Southern, the actual PE multiple is too high. Uh, it's more expensive than I like. And the utilities indexes, uh, uh, you can get better for than a 4.2% yield. Let's hold off on that. I don't think that's a good situation. I just don't think it's the best. I do like them for what they've gotten through with, with nuclear, but I don't want to recommend the stock. Now I want to go to Pat in New York. Pat. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having Not me bad, on. Pat. How are you doing? 
Uh, pretty good now that I uh, made it on the show today. Um, oh, fantastic. I did have a question for you. Um, so I am about equally invested in both Ford and Tesla. And currently with what I bought it for and where it's at right now, I'm about break even, only a couple of dollars up with both of them. Okay. And with everything that's going on, so we have the, the UAW strike going on with Ford. Tesla's um, cutting prices by about 3%. I was curious what your thoughts were. Um, okay, neither one of these stocks currently reflects future value. I think Tesla's future value is excellent, and I think that you're buying uh, into uh, Elon Musk, who's a genius. And I think that Ford, when the strike settles, is going to go much higher. I also think they're going to pivot to being a little more hybrid and a little less EV, which I actually like. Okay, as a shareholder, because my shop starts own some. Until the Fed relents, which could be years, we don't know. You need to keep in mind that companies, uh, uh, the stocks of companies that need to borrow money, well, they've just become a heck of a lot more risky. Like even Verizon, even ATT. All right, much more mad money, including my students with Damon John. Black-owned businesses were some of the hardest hit during the COVID-19 pandemic. Damon John is on a mission to change that. Yes, I'm hearing more about this year's annual Black Entrepreneur's Day and all the work that the shark himself is doing to raise awareness. And I love the guy. Then yesterday, Miles in Florida called him with a question about U.S. Bancorp. So tonight, I'm updating my thesis on that name, giving a little more color, and others in the financial cohort to help you wrap your head around this tape. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. You know, we love celebrating entrepreneurs in the show, particularly those who continue to support groups and business owners who have been historically marginalized in our economy. Gets you angry, gets me angry. For example, Damon John's been on top of this from the get-go. You know him as the founder and CEO of FUBU, FUBU, any way you want to pull it, and of course, one of the sharks on Shark Tank. Three years ago, he founded Black Entrepreneurs Day, a celebration of black business owners that's been held annually at the Apollo Theater. And this year's event, again at the Apollo, has some gigantic names. Cedars the Entertainer, Whoopi Goldberg, Shaq. I mean, wow. And it's a great cause. And that's why we're thrilled to check in with Damon John, the driving force behind Black Entrepreneurs Day. And by the way, many businesses, as you know, from Shark Tank. Mr. John, welcome back to Mad Money. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me as All always, right, buddy, brother. Buddy, now I want to know about this because yeah. we've been on before. And I find that there is a need for funding for black entrepreneurs because our country while we try to strive for equality, yeah. has not been equal in this issue. Right. You, you know, uh, I think that the more important point for us to think about is it is about culture and it is about whether it is my sponsors, whether it's what I'm doing. I'm really busy, right? <laughs> but, and so when Rising we, and so, as well you, right? <laughs> and when I saw the world melting like everybody else, I didn't look at uh, everybody else and say, you need to do something. Kids were burning businesses instead of building businesses. So culturally, I said, I need to do something. I called up all of my top guys and girls. I called you. Hey, can you highlight what Absolutely. I'm doing? Uh, Chase, can you, uh, uh, you know, the general. Oh, I hear all these initiatives you have. Will you be on the billboard next to me so the people in your company in the world can say you stand for what's right? And they said absolutely, and they're still here. However, many have left this cause um, because it's not the cause of today. And uh, it's unfortunate, but you know what? I'm not saying it's only this. There's a big world. There's LGBTQ. There's something else going on in the world now. There's veterans. There's a lot of things. But 
When you want to have culture, your employees and your staff are looking at you, and so is the world looking at you. Nike knelt, kneeled when they needed to, and they stood when they needed to, and that's why there's a, a dedication to these brands. All right, so tell us about the actual event. Tell yeah. us about how we can help this cause. Yeah. Here's how you can help, and let me tell you the event, because I, I forget everybody. So my sponsors, of course, I have to acknowledge Shopify, Chase, and the general, and the people else who came back in, T-Mobile, Lowe's, Salesforce, and Trinet, and new companies that said, hey, I still have an initiative and I want to donate and dedicate more of these $25,000 grants. Uh, we gave away 700000 so far. We will hit about a million dollars this year. Uh, Eight billion views, one for Webby's and the new companies came in McDonald's and Lowe's. It'll be aired on, on November 1st, live from the Apollo Theater. You can see it at blackentrepreneurs.com. You can also see it on Facebook Meta and all those other places. We will highlight these superstars, but they're going to talk about their failures, like when Shaq didn't know what FICO was when he first got a check. Uh, and we will give away free money, not Kevin O'Leary, we don't want a royalty, $25,000 to, uh, I think, uh, eight or ten different companies. Well, you mentioned it, some people didn't know. How about some success stories? We love success stories. Success stories. Money. Young lady com- came on uh, uh, Harlem Chocolate Factory. Uh, she was struggling during the pandemic. Now she's opening in JFK uh, uh, Airport, right? And why? Well, because not only did she get the needed money to stay open, but other people saw her wanted to support her. And you know what? The people over at JFK said, hey, I want a minority uh, company Good, in because here. they've I got a lot of the ritzy businesses there. And I would yeah. like to, you know, a lot of us, when we hear those names, we say, oh, you know what? I feel better about going to McDonald's than the other guy. Yeah. That's how we feel. And, oh, J.P. Morgan, you know what? I like them more. And that's okay with you, right? It is not sexy to talk about how they're helping people. It's right. sexy to talk about when somebody does bad. Right. And with companies today, I, you know, it's hard to say, how do I have a unique voice in some of these communities? Well, you know what? Have somebody that's a representative here and in these other communities so it's an authentic voice you take affordable steps and you don't throw campaigns out because yeah it can come back to you in the wrong way and i and i love the fact that these people not only are supporting in this way but they've had resources in their system prior to george floyd t-mobile says hey you have magenta edge and here's how you uh, can get all these uh, yeah. resources chase here's how you do it lowe's here's how you do it so great yeah, people in talking the talk great people marvels and he's a gent yeah, look, Marvin's I, I, great, I, yeah. I, right. I mean, Jamie Dimon has always cared. He's opened oh, a lot of branches and yes. neighbors that need branching. Now, how about you've always helped us in trying to figure out who's building community itself. Now, Apple's got this 15. It's titanium. Yeah. Someone says it runs hot. Oh, give me a break. What is your feeling? You got you kept us in throughout. We, we um, really got first own don't trade from you. Yeah. Well, you know, why? I, I think Apple, I, I like to say Apple creates a universe. And when you're going into universe, I've been to the mall. I went to the mall lately. And it's something that I don't necessarily recommend anybody go. But when I walked in there, what did I see? I saw people in there looking at Apple, but looking more on their 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 Peloton version of Apple. That community. Then I saw people over here who were the artsy people. I saw people streaming. I saw people want to check their 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 the movement, their body action, and of course people with the new devices. Uh, these new glasses that are coming, these new uh, Apple Vision is going to change okay. the okay. game. You believe it. I believe it. Now, people keep saying, oh, come on, it's too heavy, blah, blah, blah. But you've had it on. You know this is this, this is like is nothing gonna, you've ever seen. Yeah. And the reason why you have to buy new devices, I have looked under the hood of all these companies. I know you have. Let me tell you something. The reason for new devices, and I get to see everything, is because people will crack the 13 and the 12 and 11. They'll crack those codes. So from a security standpoint, they can't catch up. 
right? Because it's just an issue, right? And if you look at all this changing AI, well, what's going to happen? Your device needs to be caught up with what is happening today. Because the hackers are everywhere, as we know. Now, one last thing. Uh, tomorrow, a, a fable company uh, rings a bell, uh, IPO, uh, Birkenstock. I heard that and I got upset because I know David. Now, David sent me some Birkenstocks over the last How much stock years. did he send you? No, he sent me Birkenstock shoes. No, we and didn't want to see an IPO. Wait. Well, I'll tell you, I didn't the word is going to be very hot. But do the shoes, I mean, you know, this is a fabled long-term I, company. I wonder why the shoes were so, uh, you know, so, uh, so many people love it. I walked around and you know what? It has, they, they have technology and they have things that uh, I have arches that have fallen, massage my feet, stuff like that. Well, Owen, Owen's got that. You well, like those guys? I don't know, but you know what? When I got those shoes, I haven't taken them all. My wife and daughter, this is the only day that in the house, this is the only time in the house where daddy-daughter wears the same exact stuff. That is, right? I can't wear a lot of Minnie Mouse stuff, but I can definitely wear some Birkenstocks. And uh, it, it's actually the most comfortable Then I'm putting them on tomorrow when it comes public. That's it. That's Be it. all and end all, I'm wearing Birkenstocks. That, listen, they got a I am a history. kind of, take home me Jimmy Chill, you know that. Jimmy what? Jimmy Chill. <laughs> Jimmy Chill. <laughs> well, you don't have to laugh. <laughs> David John, the founder of Block Entrepreneurs Day, the founder and CEO of FUBU, and the CEO of Shark Group. And yes, I support this heavily, and I want you to, because this is a great cause. That money's back after the break. Thank you, everybody. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the light round. I'm starting with Sam in Massachusetts. Sam. Joe, man, thank you for taking my call. All right. The, um, the club is awesome, man. I love the club. Oh, thank you. I'll catch you at 12 o'clock tomorrow when we do our call. You guys are uh, working hard at it. You know, those of us that have been following you around for 20 years need to stick around another 20. So We're not going anywhere, man. We're not going. We're just getting started formally. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm thinking uh, the recent shakeup uh, and leadership is step one in turning things around in spirit, hero systems, Jim. What do you think? Well, that's a tall order. I got to tell you, you're absolutely right that the stock is low, but I gotta, I'd rather have you buy the Honeywell. You know you're in the club. I think Honeywell's at a really good level. They're going to start doing a lot of stuff to change the portfolio. Thank you for being a member of the club. How about we go to Mike in New York, Mike? Hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm a uh, long-time listener. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I want to say thanks for everything you do. Oh, thanks. Um, I, um, I kind of know what you believe about Walgreens already, but I own yeah, a lot of terrible. CBS, and I'm more concerned about, like, long-term. I'm not concerned right, well, about CBS right now. popped on some sort of uh, health care thing tonight, you know, their managed care. Longer term, look, I got to tell you, I'm not a brick-and-mortar fella. I can still go to Amazon. I click on Amazon. I bought a lot of socks during the show. Okay, and baby powder during the show. Not really, but I could have if I wanted to rather than going over to CBS. So let's just stick away from CBS. I remember when their consumer value stores, and they represented both the consumer and the value, and they had a store. Let's go to David in Hawaii, please. David. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well. The chill says hi. What's happening? Uh, not much. I was just hoping to get some of your uh, infinite wisdom on a stock called Allegro Microsystems. Okay, if you, want to be, if you want to be in that, if you want to be in power and sensing, I'd send you to ON or NXP. Both are superior. Both ON, SEMI, and NXP are superior situations. Let's go to Jonathan in Pennsylvania. Jonathan. 
Booyah Jim. Booyah Jim. My accent, the investing club is as awesome as your staff. Shout out to him. Well, there you go, man. A lot of people did fight the bottle sign. You're speaking like this, the, uh, the, the club, too. Thank you. See you tomorrow at 12. What's going on? Yes. So this is I'm calling about has a solid track record, a recent double bottom formation and an RSI in the low 40s. So it's not quite oversold. How do you think the GLP-1 drugs will affect Abbott Labs going forward? Thanks so much. Okay, I know people are very worried about that. And I've got to tell you, Abbott is a very good company and will be up to the, uh, let's say, up to the challenge. I think that's fair. You're getting a a premium company at a very low multiple that is doing a lot right. Uh, I'm okay with Abbott at 97. Now let's go to Carolyn, Florida. Carolyn. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great, thank you. I'm a uh, long-time listener, second-time caller, and my question is about Viking Therapeutics, whether it's a hold or a spell. Very good spec. It's a very good spec, but you have to understand it could be wiped out or go up a lot. That's I kind of like those situations. Let's go to Tom in Pennsylvania. Tom! Yo, Jim. Yo, Tom. Hey, I just wanted to say you guys are doing a great job in there. Quick question for HLF. What are you thinking? Uh, you know, I just I think that thing, that ship has sailed, frankly. I'm, I'm moving on from that one. Let's go to Taji in Nevada. Taji. Oh, yeah. All the way from Reno, Nevada, Kramer. Been there, loved it. What's happening? This stock and underlying commodity lithium have taken it on the chin, due in part to the UAW strike. Can buyers of James Dine's favorite ALB expect to be drinking upstream from the herd at these prices? Albemarle, buy, seller, hold. Okay, I'm a seller because uh, Elon Musk has said that he doesn't like that business. And I'm not going against Elon, no matter what. I'm not, I've, I've, been in a, I've already been in a, a death match with that guy. I'm not going back. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Coming up, you rang and got Kramer thinking about this U.S. bank. Is a big yield worth the aggravation it may cause to earn it? Stick with Kramer. Yesterday, Miles in Florida called with a terrific question. He wanted to know what I thought about U.S. Bancorp. Now, for a moment, I reverted to my old thinking. The last time I really dug into U.S. Bancorp was in 2018, when the Super Bowl was held at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. The Eagles were playing the Patriots, and I couldn't help but look over the file on the stock. I said it was a terrific growth story. But then I realized that, in the end, U.S. Bancorp is a bank. And right now, bank stocks are no good. They struggle every day, so it's tough to get behind them, and they certainly have very little growth. One of the things that made this stock attractive was its nearly 6% yield. But you can get almost that much from Treasuries, and as long as you hang on to maturity, you know you're going to get your money back from Treasuries. U.S. Bancorp, no money back guarantee. Think of it this it, it, think of this year. I mean, kind of, honestly, this has been a terrible year. Silicon Valley Bank, which I mistakenly recommended based on its long history of catering to venture capitalists, got blasted Kingdom Come while was putting together a deal that could have saved the institution. Then on the heels of that needless obliteration, the Stooges of First Republic, known for their prowess in investing, invested terribly. And it, too, succumbed to the Grim Reaper. Ever since then, you've had to avoid the banks no matter what. The scrutiny is just too great and the liability is too outsized for anyone to handle. All the regionals have been crushed and many now have large dividend yields. Now, something is often a red flag because Wall Street thinks that that means the dividend could be cut. Tomorrow, we're going to be holding our monthly meeting for the CNBC Investing Club, where we will speak and then answer your questions at noon. This time, we're changing things up a little bit. We're talking about what needs to happen for certain stocks to go higher. 
stocks like Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo. For the former, we just need investors to recognize that this company, first and foremost, is now an asset gather that advises individuals very little credit risk, which presumably should give it a higher multiple versus the pure banking stocks. Yet even with a 4.2% yield, Morgan Stanley has been pummeled to no end. Meanwhile, Wells Fargo, which seems to be hit with endless penalties, just can't get any traction at all. Even announcing a monster buyback in July, although they're not being, they're being very cherry right now in buying. I'd argue it's incredibly undervalued versus its growth rate, but the market's yawning. Now, you could argue that if our government allowed more mergers, we could see some takeovers that would make the smaller banks worth owning. But I keep thinking of TD Bank's failed attempt to, to buy First Horizon for $25 a share, a deal blocked by our authorities, and it fell through, leaving First Horizon an excellent bank, now trading at pitiful 10 bucks and change. It was going to go out of 25 Look, the saving grace of the banks is that their stocks aren't coming into earnings season with a full head of steam. But the bad news is, why the heck should they have any steam whatsoever? It feels like nothing good ever happens for the bank stocks, and I don't see that getting better with interest rates soaring and credit issues popping up everywhere. Interest rates have to go back down for these to work. Why does it matter so much? Because there are hundreds upon hundreds of these bank stocks, and they color the tape more than people realize. Unfortunately, I think they'll keep coloring it red, not green. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'd find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer.